Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Caged In Podcast, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilvis. What are we doing this week, guys? Well, we're still rolling on with Cageuary and we are here to talk to James M. McLeod from the Glasgow Film Festival all about his top five Nicholas Cage films. Uh, if you're unaware of... Um, James's significance to Nicolas Cage. He did, for my money, one of the greatest things and kind of uh, threads revolving around Nicolas Cage, which was if you posted a, a film, any film, James would reply with which would be the perfect Nicolas Cage film to double bill, a, a partner film for that. Um, so, yeah, I'm joined. I'm joined here today with james how are you james uh hi yeah i'm doing well i'm glad i'm here to talk about nicholas cage it is my job right now to <laughs> be talking about nicholas cage yeah exactly that, that's yeah. what i always feel like i'm like I'm like for for a for certain part of the week it is my job to talk about nicholas cage or the extended coppola family and at, at this very moment is talking about nicholas cage it's not bad it's a good crew it's a good crew <laughs> to be in with so let me first, yeah, ask you about the the Glasgow Film Festival. Like, yeah, what? Like, I don't like. There's so many. There's so like. There's so many film festivals out there, right? Like, yeah. I, 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 I kind of, I kind of look through the calendar, and it's like since kind of really diving into this podcast and looking at stuff of like where films are going to crop up, and especially keeping an eye on Nicolas Cage films. Where are they <laughs> premiering? Where where are that Coppola films going to be popping up and stuff like that? Is there a chance for me to see them before the general public? I've noticed there's like, so there's like the calendar year is just like, oh, there's a film festival here. There's a film festival there. Oh, yeah. What is it for you um, that kind of like makes Glasgow kind of stand out in a way? I mean, one of the big things with Glasgow is just it being in Glasgow, the sort of culture we have there. And I mean, especially around the Glasgow Film Theatre, which is Glasgow Film Festival's home and always has been, and just like the programming team there. And even just, I feel like we're, we're positioned in the year, such a great way to get a sort of head start and all like the great indie films of the year. And I mean, we're like the second biggest festival in the UK now. And 
yeah, just brings so many people to Scotland and with Fright Fest as well, it's a mixture of sort of genre fest mm -hmm. and just worldwide cinema pretty much. Yes. And in my own personal experience, it is, it has an important Cage connection for me because one of my main things that got me involved with Cage at all was the Glasgow Film Festival. Amazing. The 2009 screening of Werner Herzog's uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, standing ovations, just like, <laughs> oh, rolling in the aisles. And genuinely, it was just, it was electric. And that's like the thing is getting those electric screenings of mm -hmm. seeing a film for the first time. People, you don't always know what you're getting into. And I mean, that film, I definitely did not know what I was getting into. And it just blew everyone away. And that's like the experience you're always looking for at Glasgow Film Fest. I mean, any film festival you want that, but I've had that at Glasgow several times. So, yeah. Well, Gla that's, that's Glasgow fun. has this kind of connection with Cage in the way that um, there was the Cageorama Festival. Do you, are you aware yeah. of that? That kind of like, yeah. Yeah, that was the CCA who we like often, sometimes with Glasgow Film Festival, we'll do like screenings there and sometimes do like our industry program, sometimes events are there and stuff. Uh, yeah, I think that was with the Matchbox Cine Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. We also did like a Keanu Reeves uh, series as well. Uh, yeah, like, that's the thing is that like Glasgow, there's clearly like a longing for just cool film culture stuff to happen. I mean, like, like we're sort of doing that this year with us under the skin screening, Amazing. which is going to be having like a live symphony orchestra playing the score and stuff like that. And it's, you know, trying to make unique experiences out of film. Cause bet... like already seeing something, in the cinema is the way to see it. And yeah. when you're seeing it with a crowd and everyone's just getting electrified by what they're seeing, it's, and, yeah, it's magic. And I bet, I bet under the skin is a film that people of Glasgow kind of like, they're, they're, oh, there's yeah. that, they're, there's that Leonardo DiCaprio meme aspect of it where people are like, I know that street. Like, oh, yeah. You, you feel like a genuine pride as Scarlett Johansson picks off the young men of our city. <laughs> We're just like, oh, you, you've done it, lads. She, she walked past, you know, Buchanan Galleries. I've been in there. I'm just like her. I've seen a transit van on that street. It could have been her. Oh, <laughs> it, like, there's so many transit vans in Glasgow. It's basically a tourist attraction at this point. Just the under-the-skin experience is alive in Glasgow at all times of the year. Amazing. Yeah, hopefully there's an installation which is a kind of black, goopy room. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just sink in here. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So, uh, apart from... Bad Lieutenant Porter Call New Orleans. Has there been any other Nicolas Cage films that have, have played Glasgow Film Festival in its, its run? Oh, well, actually, um, I wish I knew more off the top of my head. <laughs> but I know a few years ago uh, we did this screening of Wild at Heart, which I believe was in a church. I would need to look up exactly what this is, but this is one of our like specials or screenings. Wow. And I mean, uh, one of our like usual photographers, Ingrid Moore, uh, the photo she has of just the Wild at Heart title card and like church. It's beautiful. That's like somewhere on our Instagram. And it's just that's that's an elemental like movie image right there. It feels it feels somewhat blasphemous showing <laughs> that film in that location and I love it. Yeah. It's you know, it's putrid but profound, you know, it's it's everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it it's it it's Wizard of Oz for a new generation, right? That film. It's got it's got so many connections exactly. to that movie. So it's got it's got a purity to it, and it's also got what Nicolas Cage like stabbing a guy in like this opening scene. And... Oh yeah, that's oh, 
and dancing to speed metal. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's what you want in a church. I like yeah, anytime anytime I've ever like gone to a gig that happens to be in a church and I always feel like I always feel a little bit naughty. Do you know what I mean? Having like a can <laughs> of beer in the church and like I shouldn't be doing this or I shouldn't be seeing rock music in a church, but it's happening, baby. Yes. <laughs> it's a whole new world, you know. So I really need to ask you, James, about this kind of work of majesty, which was this kind of Yes. I don't almost like Rain Man esque. Like <laughs> That's my life. I walk around like that. It's just see things and <laughs> Nicholas Cage tales come in my brain. So how did how did you go about this? Were you like yeah, like take me, take take me through it. Like explain, explain to the audience what kind of what what you did and how you went about it. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, everywhere in life, you know, whatever you're doing, you've got to be aware of what your skills are. Work towards your skill set. And through 2020, pretty much, I just thought I'm close enough to finishing Nicolas Cage's filmography. I always enjoy watching them. I'm going to do it. I've always been a massive fan and defender of him, appreciator of him as an actor uh, and just person. Uh, and so that is that I saw that as a skill and doing marketing, social media, all that kind of stuff. It was really it was just an excuse to talk about it. Like ultimately, I was thinking I have seen all these films. That to me is a resource. I've got them fresh <laughs> in my mind. What can I use this for? And I can use this on an official platform <laughs> because I have access to it, and the good people at Glasgow Film Festival have trusted me with it. Uh, and hopefully, you know, they're proud with the work it's done. And then, to be fair, the unbearable weight of massive talent was coming. And since that's so tied to his whole career and lineage. I thought as well, like, this is a good way to draw attention to as many of them as I can. Because I literally, I just wanted to recommend them until I didn't feel comfortable recommending them. <laughs> like, if I'm at the point where I'm telling you to watch USS Indianapolis because your favorite movie is Jaws, I, I <laughs> wouldn't feel, that wouldn't be ethical on my part, so. Yeah, whilst watching USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. <laughs> It got to a point and I was like, do you know what? I would rather be hearing about this from Quint in Jaws than watching this movie. <laughs> I would probably watch that scene on repeat for the length of yeah. USS Indianapolis before re-watching USS Indianapolis, uh, which no offense to anyone who worked on it. Great actors, Nicolas Cage, I never fault him. You know, man, man does his job, and I can, you can always see why he chooses things, regardless of how it turns out. I feel like, even if the choice is based on him buying dinosaur bones off Leonardo DiCaprio, amazing. So, yeah. So, how did you how did you go about how did you go about this? Obviously, you said you had the extensive knowledge of watching all of Cage's films, yeah. like, um, but as they kind of came in, so like, like I pulled one up now. So somebody. Right. somebody yes Sven Rufus has said Brazil and your answer was uh now the humanity bureau might sound like a bureaucratic hell space you're after but the energetic style uh you'd really want yeah want is raising Arizona yeah we recommend you Deadfall with an all-time sicko mode cage performance of a world of its own a dark dream what kind of can you can you take us through the kind of the four steps the kind of logic behind behind that 
Well, yeah, I <laughs> I generally only wanted to recommend ones that I you know really thought were good films, but there were times where something seemed like a better fit, and there was just that part of my brain that you know had seen all the films and had them all in my head. I didn't want it. I don't want anyone to sort of think, ah, but what about blah, 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 that's a better fit. It's like, no, I know, but this is better. <laughs> and in this case, I mean, a lot of time it was about feeling, if I'm honest, because I, I, to be honest, like when you love something, like say if you love Brazil, do you really think that your sort of second favorite movie would be a film that pretty much follows the structure and plot of Brazil, but mm -hmm. is like less good? You know, it's no like it's going to be something that kind of generates some of the same feeling. Uh, and weirdly, like Raising Arizona, it gets it because, you know, it's frenetic, stylish. It's so, I don't know, it's got that sort of cartoonish energy. I mean, both like Terry Gilliam has actual sort of cartoonist uh, background, but the Coens certainly bring that. I mean, mm -hmm. Nicolas Cage is basically Bugs Bunny in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the case of Deadfall, I was just like, there's something about the non-stop, sweaty, sort of one-upsmanship of it. That was like, you know what, maybe somebody who can appreciate a film where, for no reason, you know, Robert De Niro bashes through a wall and says he's a plumber. <laughs> maybe they'd like a movie where Nicolas Cage is, you know, screaming and has a fake nose on, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's screwing about coat hangers. You fucking hangers, man! Like, yeah, that's what like, you want. I don't know. It was, a lot of it was just almost entering just a zen-like state and then reaching out to the titles yeah, through wh feeling what where where um where brazil has the icon that is robert de niro deadfall has the icon that is angus scrim do you know what i mean like exactly uh an important scotsman i believe uh which i'm i'll well need to double check but as <laughs> you know scottish native that's always very important and yeah it's, it's got that thing where he doesn't just appear but doesn't he have like a claw hand or something in that yes. film yeah. um and it's just like again yeah it's just okay this is not just a random crime movie it's just got an element of weird to it and it's got the added element of weird that there's a pseudo sequel despite you know, a character no longer existing, <laughs> returning, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that was Nicolas Cage just kind of throwing his weight around in his straight-to-VOD yeah. era, kind of saying, I will do this film, but I'm playing a character <clears throat> that I played in 1993 for no <laughs> reason. <laughs> and I'm doing it for my brother. Uh, yeah, and I believe his brother is in that movie as well. I think so, he yeah. Also, he, just, just to correct myself, I don't believe Angus Scrim was born in scotland i tried to claim him i tried to claim the tall man yeah i was gonna say i don't, I don't even think angus scrim is his name scrim sounds like it could be a scottish i believe i, just, I believe his name isn't even angus scrim it's kind of a, a, a it won't be, but i just thought i could imagine seeing him standing by a foggy loch like i don't know <laughs> like it made it made sense yeah i remember hearing a great story about angus scrim uh about when he when when he passed loads of people in his kind of regular life didn't know about the angus scrim part about his kind of existence and that he'd done oh, all wow. these phantasm movies so obviously like don coscarelli and like the cast of phantasm <laughs> all turned up to his funeral and they were like all these all these straight-laced people like who are these <laughs> kind of movie types kind of turning up to his funeral it's like, oh, oh wow. yeah yeah like he's he's made a career for himself just saying 
boy. <laughs> oh, fantastic. He and that that legacy stretches for it. I'm just gonna have to mention this very peculiar piece of movie trivia just because it's another part of Angus Scrim's legacy. That sound effect of boy from the end of the first Phantasm movie is used as a sound effect for magic in the Hong Kong film Bo- The Boxer's Omen. Have you seen The Boxer's Omen? No. <laughs> okay. The Boxer's Omen is one of the most just bananas films that exists. It's about um well, I believe it's about Thai or uh, Taiwanese sort of magic and mythology and is like nothing you've ever seen and there's one part where i believe somebody's bringing a alligator back to life through a ritual that involves worms and skulls and the sound effect is literally the last bits of audio from the first phantasm is a smashing glass and then angus scrim going and it's just what beautiful mind thought right we need a sound effect for a piece of magic in the phantasm amazing Amazing. I recently had a discussion with um my stepdad about like films that he enjoyed and he said, Do you know a film I, I really, really enjoy? And I did not expect this is a guy who watches like war movies and like his kind of benchmark for a film is like based on a true story. So it's gotta be good, it's based on a true story. <laughs> he said to me, I really like it's a film I watched like years ago and I really love it. It's called Phantasm. Have you ever heard of it? I was like, Have I? I was like, not only have I not only have I heard it, I've seen it and I, I've seen all the sequels. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a phantasm head. I'm a well, <laughs> yes, of course. Connection. So, so I think I've said to him, what one night we're I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to show him the joys, which is the the rest of the phantasm uh, uh, series. So, before we get into your top five, um, yeah. James. I wanted to I wanted to do a little test to see one test your memory or just to test your kind of I don't know matching abilities with films I'm I'm going to I'm going to throw out a a film that somebody has suggested and see if you can match your recommendation oh. from the time so we've got when harry met sally and I'll give you a clue of this one you offered them a you offered them a triple bill with this you offered them two films to go along with when harry met sally okay when harry met sally it was one of them it could happen to you yes it was okay it could happen to you um um um, oh uh angels in america not angels in america sorry uh wings of what what was the the uh, yeah, the Wings of Desire remake, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. I can only remember the Wim, Wim Benders one. Was that the correct choice? No, it was Moonstruck, and it could happen. Moonstruck, to you. of course. So I'll throw out. I'll throw out. Uh, I'll throw out this one, and I kind of. Um. Uh, Blade Runner. What are you? Yeah. What are you? What are you? What are you pairing with Blade Runner? Oh yeah, Blade Runner, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. Was this? I think. Oh yeah, um, this is my like my, my favorite, maybe one of my favorites. Uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. It is, it is, yeah. Because yeah, that was that was again one where if you were trying to find a Nicolas Cage sci-fi film on the level of Blade Runner, you're gonna hit you know a bit of a dead end. It's not one of his biggest genres, you know. Uh, but for something that's got that kind of you know jazzy almost 
you know, sort of casual vibe, but then ramps up for times and then all sort of chills. It's got that sort of, you know, interesting rhythm to it. I feel like Bad Lieutenant kind of follows that. It's also just, you know, one bad man, although admittedly one of those two protagonists is worse than the other. Uh, one of them is titular Bad Lieutenant. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my connector. And I'm going to throw out this one because th- this is actually um, a friend of the podcast, uh, Claire, Claire Ellen Hope said oh, cool. la la land for me and what what did you match with la la land now this one i feel like i went it might have been something stupid like a score to settle because he plays the piano and sings and that no you actually went for uh i'll, re- I'll read out the tweet which an la story about disparate people coming together with a pep in their a pep in its step switch out music for cons and we'll recommend you ridley scott's matchstick men 2003 yeah 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 like, and it's kind of as much as instead of the singing and dancing you've got cage kind of with this rhythmic uh stutter that he has and yeah. this kind of the the these ticks and yeah you yeah and i'm sure i'm sure that sam rockwell like he does in every movie dances oh he that. dances he, <laughs> de- he definitely does a spin maybe a point here and there you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's like... that counts that's halfway there for context for listeners to vindicate myself, this thread was in April of 2022. And, you know, that just keep that in mind. No, that's, 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 this is good stuff. This is good stuff. I like, <laughs> I like, I, uh, we'll do one more and then we'll get on to your top five. So, um, again, this is another one that I believe. Uh, no, you. You went with a, no, might have been a double feature. No, you definitely, it's not a double feature. You went for, you went for one over the other. Um, may, maybe that will give you a hint to the kind of thinking of this. The Big Lebowski. So a big film for a lot of people. What, yeah. what, what do you think was your uh, <laughs> recommendation for this? There's an obvious one. Yes, I'm pretty sure it was like, you'll think it's Raising Arizona. And part of this was because when I was doing it, I didn't want to re-recommend anything. Like, I wanted that to be almost part of the appeal. And also just to show his range that you can do this for, you know, 60 movies or however many it is. That, you know, it's probably not 60 movies, but, you know, close to that. So, yeah, the Raising Arizona, I believe, was the, it could, you know, you'd think it's this one. But the actual one I'm trying to remember, it's like casual, hangout, funny. I, I'm going to have to ask you for it again. You're just going to have to read it. So this one, um, Raising Arizona was the top choice. Yeah. But the kind of, the, the kind of one that's the interesting choice is, uh, and you right here, a bearded outsider playing life by his own rules with a penchant for mind-altering sub- su- substances, Army of One scratches some of that yes. itch. Like, which is like, right. which is a film that I like. I, I I've managed to find out from doing this podcast and kind of just like poking poking at people mm-hmm. o- online is that film came under the kind of. Um, the scissors of the Weinsteins. And yeah. I read I read that I think on like Wikipedia or RMDB. So I reached out to Larry Charles, the film's director, and he said, Oh yeah, no, there is a cut of that movie that I did that oh. like I hope to one day be able to screen to people. 
and it's oh, kind we of need like to release the Clark cut. Yeah, we need we need the Larry we need the Larry Clark uh, yeah, the Larry Charles cut. Not, not Charles Larry Clark. Cut, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> different director. A yes, very yes, different very director. Different director. <laughs> <laughs> la, la, yeah. La, Kids to Army of One would be like <laughs> such a such a crazy that, career progression. That is interesting to hear because like that one is like a semi was like, you know, that's one of those films that's on the edge for me in terms of like really liking. I think when you are in this the weeds of finishing Nicolas Cage's filmography, <laughs> you're really you're looking for diamonds in the rough at that point. And and the thing with that one, well, there's certainly like because I actually thought from the outset this was one I was gonna hate, that mm-hmm. it was gonna be the sort of, you know, the epic cafation of Nicolas Cage, which I find frustrating as someone who just genuinely loves and enjoys him. Um, but there is something to it where there's like a, an interesting like empathy for the characters, yeah. which something that, you know, it seems mocking in from the outset, but it can tell, oh no, it, the film does care about these people as silly and ridiculous as they are. And some solid jokes are peppered in there. Like, And you can see the DNA of Larry Charles's previous works. Obviously he's the guy oh, who yeah. did like Borat and like a lot of the stuff, especially when he's supposed to be in uh, Pakistan, it like, yes. it looks very kind of Borat-esque. It almost looks kind of like they're, they're just filming Nicolas oh, yeah. Cage riding a donkey down a street. It doesn't feel like put on or, there's the and and there's great talent in that. Whether it's like Will Sasso and Paul Shear playing like his friends yes. in the bar, or um, oh, is it Wendy Cove? I can't remember the second part. But yeah, the the woman who plays like his love interest in it, she's fantastic. And it's like there's so much great talent, and like yeah, it's kind of become a mission of mine to to raise awareness yeah. of the Larry Charles cut, and hopefully oh. one day get to see that and speak to speak yeah speak to Larry about about that kind of that process absolutely because uh, i mean i i hope he even does you know the paul schrader thing and just try get it out there like a uh, dark um mm-hmm. which is yeah an interesting one even if it doesn't you know fix the film necessarily yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. fascinating it, yeah yeah it kind of it kind of it kind of I don't know, heaps on a, a a whole load more of like <laughs> questions. Oh yeah, it's like, are you going to break my film? I'm going to break it further until <laughs> it's just all about the mindset. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> an interesting little protest of a piece in some ways. Yeah, that that that's one film I've never felt bad about um, requiring illegally because it's kind of it was the uh, the director himself <laughs> yeah. put it out there, and it was the only way to to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah um so let's jump into your top five and do you have like a criteria in which you've kind of ranked these films and how wild is that criteria if you have one right yeah so this was this is something that i've been cooking up for for a while now which is just throughout his career i mean you'll know this yourself there are through lines some are hyper specific some of them are just you know feeling you know it can be as anything from fake noses to being set in the south slash New Orleans, you know, and then also character choice, all this stuff. So yeah, this is this is something I'm calling the Cage Nexus, right? Yes. This is the unifying theory of Nicolas Cage, his approach to acting, where I think that each and every one of his performances involves one or more or all of these sides. So there's Nicolas Cage, the shaman, right? Mm-hmm. This is how he calls what he calls himself, the you know, his neo-shamanistic Yes. acting style um 
which I think you know you could describe this as being like the typical sort of wild man Nicolas Cage performances as you think of them, the one where he is going all out from everything from, you know, Ghost Rider 2 to obviously there's some Mandy and Face Off, there's touches of it everywhere. Uh, then in the opposite side, there's Nicolas Cage, The Quiet Man. Now we're talking like Peg, Joe, Adaptation, mm -hmm. when he really, when I feel like there's something to him, the second he sinks his shoulders, mm -hmm. It's, He's just in a different mode. It's like the it's like the Adam Sandler doing Punch Drunk Love. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of the going against the grain of what you expect of, of an actor. And also an actor who's got that there all times. Like at Sandler, it's like he's got that latent anger always and he mm -hmm. can just, like a dial can be turned and it's got a different flavour altogether. Yes. And for Cage, it's like it's, it can be simmering anger or it can just be a total like, peaceful, quiet, shy... It's all there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like then, with adaptation, it yeah. comes the anger comes, or like the kind oh, of yeah. the wildness comes through the anxiety and the 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 fear yeah. in that character. Whereas, like in in a, in yeah, in like a, a face off, it would be this kind of brash bravado and like I don't know, yeah, almost like simmering hatred for the world. <laughs> oh yeah. Everyone, yeah. Uh, and he's he's so good at that, and in so many different ways. Uh, the next one is Nicolas Cage, the auteurist, and this is something I love about him, where he will just give himself over to a filmmaker. Yeah. Like as as much as you think of Nicolas Cage and he's associated with his thing, there's also so many times where he does exactly what a filmmaker is known mm -hmm. for. Like Raising Arizona, he is a Coen Brothers character. Mm -hmm. He's not a Nicolas Cage. He's a Coen Brothers character. Like Face Off, he could even say. He really gives himself over to John Woo, even though he's definitely doing the shaman stuff, mm -hmm. like for the opening for sure. Like, and there's, I think Mandy is another great example of this as well. Then there's Nicolas Cage, the supporter, where he can be really good at just balancing things out and really supporting someone else's mm -hmm. performance, which, like, is, you know, in a lot of his supporting roles, but even in Face Off, he basically hands off the wild Nicolas Cage performance to John Travolta yeah. and then just lets that carry the movie and he's just i'll be the solid center yeah which is totally different to and that's you know, the rage that, guy that film is testament that like people always think he's on a cage's craziest and it's like you only get like 15 minutes of that guy the rest of yeah. it is cage playing it pretty straight as like a a nice guy trying to like right wrongs that have been done to him yeah. He just wants his kid back or whatnot. Like, it's very basic stuff. Uh, uh, and then the last but not least, and this will lead into the top five, which we'll get through, is Nicolas Cage, the auteur. So this is going from giving himself over to a filmmaker to him being what seems like the almost essential creative force, where there's times where he and his whole persona, his background just... The film would not exist in the same way without him, basically. Yeah. And that leads me into my number five pick, which I think is the mixture of Nicolas Cage, the shaman, and Nicolas Cage, the auteur, and that is Vampire's Kiss. Oh, what a pick. Because that is a film where, you know, we talked about the making of it, he didn't have a full script, there was so much sort of improvising, and I mean, Nicolas Cage's own love for Nosferatu comes through. Like, that film is not the film it is without Nicolas Cage mm -hmm. being the guy. And I think it's just like the best example of him being the auteur of the film he's in. And it's just like hilarious, amazing, inventive. Like that's not a film where you're going to guess what the next scene is going to be about because the next scene is him shouting the alphabet. Like, mm. Well, that's like, 
there's an aspect to that and I think that was him kind of and he's called it himself his laboratory figuring out stuff and I think like there are stories from the set of that which like paint him and rightfully I think in like a bad light I think he kind of was kind of figuring out his kind of what his acting style was I think he did like some outlandish stuff like request that he had yogurt pot on his feet and I think he was quite mean towards jessica bills and stuff like Mm. that and i think like kind of like that was the one where he got like enveloped in the character but i think that was yeah like because it was a lower budget movie and it kind of yeah exactly i guess meeting robert beerman and not not having that full script kind of used it as like this is this is a chance to play and like absolutely let's mess about with it let's kind of and it feels like a lot of the takes in that movie, uh, what they call in the industry, like a freebie take. Like they probably, <laughs> let's get the script and then let's kind of, let's try something else. And Cage has gone, yeah. i got an idea here. Let me try it. And Rob Beerman's gone, let's, let's go for it, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and honestly, I do think it's like an important part of like, because that's top five are like personal favorites as well as what I think like, really capture what the appeal is for him and like that one i think starts off something that's throughout his career where there's certain jobs where it feels like he goes for a film because it gives him room to kind of play essentially it gives him room to stretch his legs you know you think of something like you know like zandali Mm -hmm. like other big actors who you know have been in huge movies at that point may not go for zandali a southern (laughs) gothic drama with you know judge reinhold but cage being like oh i can shoot in the south and also it's like you know it's steamy drama and i can kind of go wild with it as a supporting character like sure um i feel like you see that throughout of these films where he's just can seem interested in just letting trying things out practicing almost yeah and i think up until a certain point like you can't see who cage is like who he's going to become i guess yeah post leaving las vegas into his kind of action run it's kind of then people i think had a an idea of who they thought nicholas cage was but up until yeah. that point he could have been he could have been anyone and a prime example is like a kind of casting what if that gets thrown about a lot and a lot of people go oh, i couldn't i couldn't see that and i've mentioned this this like throughout cageuary this year is he was he was rumored to have been the jeff daniels role in dumb and dumber and it's like people go oh, oh. I, I really can't see that but it's like if you look at cage's career up until that point it's yeah. like he'd starred in a lot of like rom-coms or out and out yeah. comedies like trapped in yeah trapped in paradise it could happen Absolutely. to you honeymoon in vegas like raising arizona like he of course he kind of had like a similar vibe to jeff daniels in that thing of like he could do serious he, he could he could do this kind of worthy stuff do you know I mean? he could do the cotton club he could do like yeah. um racing with even like time to birdie. kill or something like that i mean that's his attempt at something sort of more dramatic but yeah but then also like he like he could be this goofball do you know what i mean it could be this real real goofball and like a, a film I always like think that Cage could be in that Jeff Daniels did is something wild. The Jonathan Demi movie is kind of oh like, yeah, I could see that sort of lanky, loose Cage. Yeah, kind of being this kind. Of, you could easily see him around that like what nineteen eighty eight doing that kind of like guy who gets yeah like swept away by Melanie Griffith and like kind of 
embroiled. And at the same time, he could easily have done the Ray Liotta role as well. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's like, one like, guy who could have uh, like done either part of that movie, but we it's only in retrospect that we can see that. At the time, it kind of... It kind of felt like who 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 could he have been? Like Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it did seem like it was a mixture of variety, but it's also looking for identity uh, on screen. I feel like you're right that his on screen identity did end up becoming really the action world. Mm-hmm. But I think that is like I do think that's such a big part of his career. Like that's the supporter role. I feel like so much as he just knows that he can be such a solid base around which yeah, I think you know things the, can happen like the three films he would have filmed back to back and i think like a vampire's kiss kind of had a bit of like release troubles and like was delayed yeah. a bit but the three films he would have yeah filmed back to back would have been raising arizona moonstruck and vampire's kiss which are kind of like all over the place and feel yeah. like within themselves are a massive like sandbox and playing ground for him to figure out who he was going to be or kind of bringing in all these tools of who he could yeah. be in the future and that 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 I think is like one of the most important runs of his career to kind of oh, definitely. give us the cage we get in the future it's like oh the Coen brothers have let me loose to basically be a Tex Avery cartoon come to life it's like yeah like, that is genuinely, because that's something I feel like has really stuck with him, because you see it on his, like, cameo and like, Never on a Tuesday, where, you know, the, the, the story is that he was, he could do whatever he wanted, so Nicolas Cage chooses to wear a fake nose and talk in a funny out voice, and so there's clearly is a part of him that just likes that silliness, I mean, you know, it's like the same way that he loves Superman, you know, he loves some elemental base sort of storytelling things, and, I mean, Nosferatu as well, like, he definitely seems to like the very i don't know basic sort of nature of storytelling and acting getting across sort of emotion and drama through these very elemental you know stories well it feels perfect that we're talking about vampires kiss now as well because we've just recently had the renfield trailer yeah kind of feels like the it was all roads lead to this right it's kind of like vampires kiss was like the kind of like calling card of like one day please let me play dracula and you can imagine like you can imagine cage like when he got offered that role being like i've been waiting my whole career i kind of got like a a taste of it with with peter lowe but like now i get to play the man himself like i I will revel in this like i i hope that was just a delay for i mean when you hear him say i am dracula in the trailer he is just i mean he is chewing the scenery so much he is like having a three-course meal he is loving it he is swimming in the river of ham he is just like cooking a roast gammon for everyone at work and we're they're all loving it he's he's dealing out well and you can imagine like from seeing chris mckay's um yeah like he did a post recently on his social media like platforms about what was like the kind of visual aesthetics mm. for for like the like, and you can imagine the conversations him and cage would have been having oh, about their dracula so yeah they've got um london after midnight is in there the man who laughed and christopher lee as, as dracula like were the kind of like perfect and you can imagine they would have been they would have definitely talked about nosferatu and i, I guess there would have been a, a hesitation for cage being like do you know what i kind of ate 
Nosferatu yeah. and Vampire's Kiss. So let, let's draw upon some of these these other other images. So like The Man Who Laughed is a film I haven't seen, but like from seeing Cage's aesthetic yeah. in Renfield, I'm like, oh, the teeth are 100% The Man Who Laughed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, that film has, I mean, he's talked a lot and I mean, he talks about it a lot in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, his love of German expressionism. Mm-hmm. And so like Man Who Laughed fits perfectly in there. And I mean, it, it definitely is. It's this the main character and the man who laughs is this guy who's got this stuck rictus grin and you know he's crying through the smile of it and you can see he's you know cage is almost trying to bring a sort of i don't know inhuman mouth movement almost seems like it would be painful but he loves it you know yeah he's 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 delighting in it i'm (laughs) i'm looking forward to that perfect so what have we got for number four right number four this is nicholas cage in a perfect slash role. He's the shaman slash supporter. His face-off It's John Woo's 1997 classic. I mean, you could argue this is also Nicolas Cage, the auteurist as well, because he is giving himself over to John Woo. He is walking past doves. He is jumping in slow motion. He is spinning. He is doing all that good stuff. I mean, I always the thing I always point to is the first like 15 minutes of face-off. That action sequence is better than what closes most other action films like that whole airport sequence and Nicolas Cage turning in one of his funniest most like just demonically evil but like an impish spirit of just mad sickness like he's just a terrorist for hire which is just a wild concept on its own a guy is just like yeah I love just doing evil (laughs) and he nails it he sells it (laughs) there's like and and that is a film because I, I, had, I had the good fortune of speaking to the writers of that film, so Mike Werb and Mike Michael Cleary, uh, last year, celebrate the twenty fifth anniversary. And they said, like, what a nice guy he was with that film because I think like the studio wanted to change the name to Doppelgangers, and they were like, obviously, as writers were like, well, this movie isn't about doppelgangers; it's about people no. switching faces. The script is called Face Off, and Nicolas Cage kind of turned to them and said we're going to shoot something today don't worry i'm uh i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna make sure that this movie is called face off and then delivered that speech that he delivers to nick cassavetes with the i want to take his face off and it was that was like the moment that they went. That's beautiful. I think this movie's called Face Off, and it was like Cage was like, "Let's do these guys a solid." Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like I, like you were saying, not only is he kind of like the supporter to the director, just being that supporter to the to the screenwriters as well. It's their vision, it's their yeah. story, and having that support for them to be like, "Hey, like." Even to have something like as trivial as a title, like do you know what I mean, like, like not that, yeah. But obviously, a title I, I say trivial, but like is massively important sometimes. Like, but like totally is, it absolutely is. There's a re- like face off as it just hits something in the brain, mm-hmm. which doppelgangers just it wouldn't quite. And I mean, yeah, his that's a perfect example, and that's a great story. I didn't know that, and yeah, like it. It's the thing where I feel like since he is so often seen as an almost overriding personality, I think it's so fascinating that when you actually look at his career, 
so often it's about like serving whatever the greater vision is and like you know all films is about everyone contributing and everyone can be like their author and their own side of the production like you know, we're talking in very general terms but something like face off is so it's got that operatic like perfect sort of mellow perfectly pitched melodrama of john woo's hong kong titles that i feel like face off is probably the best english language representation of that and like cage understand travolta to be fair understanding how to play it for america yeah stream yeah it's like there's there's just like a quality about that film that is just i don't know like mesmeric and like every time i watch it like you pick out something like new and interesting yeah. i think like cages yeah cage you kind of mentioned it earlier like when you when you were going through like the kind of criteria that you have is that is one where cage does his bit at the beginning and then yeah. is very much supporting travolta to do that like for the rest of the movie you know i mean apart from a the moments when he's aping what Caster Troy would be doing is yeah. he's like the which in itself is a Archie. great performance on its own. Like it shows yes. it's the vulnerable side of Cage. It's always been there, uh, and he really just I don't know like John Woo. I mean, it's such a smart choice to have Cage be playing that part just because that opening performance sticks with you so much mm-hmm. that when the faces swap, you buy it you know what that character is like because, I mean, when you think of how much time you actually spent with him, it's kind of amazing. You spent more time with the John Travolta version, but yeah. you always remember the real cast of Troy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's just so, 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 so smart. Well, if you've got a line in your script that says, I could eat a peach for hours, you're going to have the skinny on who that guy is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you you don't like, forget. Oh. Yeah, you're going to be like, oh, he's, he's, he, he's, not, he's not a good guy. Like, <laughs> he's a bad seed. He's a bad dude. We're not, we're not pro caster Troy. We think he's cool, but he's a bad guy. Yeah, so we, we, we would like love we would love to play around with those guns and kind of twirl them and stuff like oh, that yeah. I'd, yeah i'd love to walk onto a runway in a in a, in a nice leather jacket <laughs> yeah and spin have it bellow in the wind you'd i mean you would feel like he feels you'd feel on top of the world uh, and that film is just such a great jump back to i mean that's almost the pinnacle of practical action cinema of these, you know, Hong Kong style getting given the budget of Hollywood, although for better and for worse, not having the danger of Hong Kong cinema. Um, but yeah, just the tactility of people are firing bullets. This room is being shattered by a billion bits of debris, and that's just a joy to watch. Yeah, and like just his interplay with like Travolta in that as well yeah. like those kind of moments where they do speak to each other or there's that iconic moment where they're kind of either side of the wall and stuff like that it's just beautiful it's, it's just it's, it's just it's like sorry, oh we're jumping over each other but yeah like Hong Kong cinema has that connection to like I feel Tamil and Bollywood cinema where mm-hmm. it has the I don't know to use the line from a Nicolas Cage director, Werner Herzog, I feel like they reach towards that ecstatic truth where it's so exaggerated and bombastic, but those emotions are so dead on and the actors give it to them, give themselves to it so much that, yeah, it feels real, regardless of how wild and bombastic it all gets. 
Uh, it's great, and I, I want more of that. I mean, I want I'm, imagining Nicolas Cage in a RRR style movie would. Oh, oh. oh well, yeah, that, that would be perfect. Yeah, it's just it's, it's well, the 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 one genre waiting for Cage to be in. Let, let's be honest, yes. is a musical. Waiting for him to be in a musical. That's oh it. yes, that's, that's what we're waiting. <laughs> absolutely, we get tiny hints, and it's not enough. Not enough. James, let's get to your number three pick. Right, this is the ultimate sort of auteurist Cage film, and it's Raising Arizona. Mm -hmm. This is the film where I feel Cage gives himself up to another filmmaker the most. Well, there is still, you know, he's you know he's an actor. You can always see Cage's of him. Yeah, of course, uh, it's it's infectious. But I feel like the Cohen's tone. I mean, like, even just the language that you know their characters use is so specific i mean when you read like the script for the big lebowski the film is you know near enough line for line it doesn't look like there's tons of room for you know improv there and it's such a controlled performance even though his character is you know so loose and manic i mean he's clearly go going for i mean we talked about his love for german expressionism but that whole era you can see his love for it and there he's doing you know buster keaton with harold lloyd in there the kind of uh, you know he's he's trying his best but he's a scrappy guy he's bugs bunny yeah, yeah he yeah. gives himself over to it i find it really interesting of like the directors as well that cage has managed to like pick off throughout his career like especially oh, yeah. when we look back at kind of who are either like from the new Hollywood generation or the guys who have kind of come after them, who Cage has worked with. He's kind of picked off like some really great names, like including the, yeah, including the Coen brothers. And he kind of got in there quite early. What, this is the yeah. second film? The third film? Uh, yeah, I, I believe it's second. Um, I think it's, yeah, uh, which is kind of incredible just how fast they dialed into exactly who they were. Um, but I mean, that's why I think like when I was really just thinking about the things I appreciate about him and this whole sort of idea, you know, quote unquote unified theory is that he's someone who can be so dominating of a film, but then also can give himself over to these fantastic like directors, writers, creators, like, you know, his Scorsese film, Bringing Out the Dead, He's doing the performance that that film needs, not the mm -hmm. film performance that he just fancies doing or yes. playing around with. You know, he's he's in it for the film, yeah, and he, I feel like Raising Arizona is one of the best examples of that. Was having reverence and kind of yeah, having that like reverence to the script and the people, and like that's yeah. the thing with you could imagine with Bring Out the Dead, like what we're talking like. 30 years into a career with Scorsese and Schrader so yeah. like there's gonna be that reverence to those guys but to have that reverence to the Coen brothers who yeah as we said are like kind of fresh out the gate really do you know what I mean like he might have seen oh, absolutely he's definitely probably seen Blood Simple either in the, the the prep for for this movie but like to have that reverence to them be like I'm gonna give myself over to you is an absolute like testament to like what an actor he he is and can be and i know that i know that there's like speculation and kind of chatter that him and the cohen's didn't get on that well and i guess that's why oh, right. we never saw cage in a 
in another Coen Brothers film because they're, 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 they're famed for kind of working with people again and again and oh, again. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like maybe it's one of those cases where, uh, you know, I'm giving him a lot of credit for giving himself over to a filmmaker, but maybe there was a lot of, you know, controlling had to go on to make that happen, to make that great <laughs> performance happen. Because, like, sometimes, you know, there are these very, you know, controlled or controlling directors who sometimes don't quite gel with other uh, actors. Like, there's a story about David Lynch and the filming of uh, Twin Peaks Season 3, um, with Tom Sizemore, mm-hmm. and Tom Sizemore is great in that series, and just... This Nick, David Lynch in this story is how I imagine the Coens might be, where just in one random little line, Tom Sizemore, you know, he riffs a little, he changes the lineup, and over like the bullhorn, David Lynch just says in his like great voice, which I cannot do, he's like, Tom, are we gonna have to put you to the back of the class? <laughs> and just like he's just gets okay, he just wants me to say the words. Let's let's go on with it. I feel like the Coens could be like that. Just they want their thing done, and maybe dealing with somebody who's real loose and at that point fresh. I mean, he's and he's swinging for stuff. And I mean, like in Moonstruck, as you say, so close around that time, early in his career, he's with a sort of veteran director and writer, and he's swinging for the fences. He mm-hmm. is up against with Cher, a megastar, and he's like, I want to be as big on this screen. Like, that's going to be hard to reel in. And I think what a lot of people forget is Cage was 23 when he made the, the like Moonstruck and Raising Arizona. Yeah. He was young. He was really fucking young. And to kind of yeah. deliver such a kind of self-assured and kind of like, you know I mean, he, he knows what, like, and yeah, testament of that probably would come to the Cohen brothers as well. And you'd imagine the discussions they would have had of like Cage probably bringing stuff to the table and them kind of saying, this is what we're going for and them kind of getting it. It's like 23 is young, like especially like in a, like yeah. in, 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 in an actor's career, like that's know, absolutely. And especially for the range of things he was doing at that time, he's really, he's figuring things out. And at the same time, you see exactly the actor he's always going to be like, because I feel like he's young, but he's got that sadness to him already that he wears in his quiet man performances. I think like, I mean, that's Moonstruck obviously is like, Oh, I lost my hand. You know, he's tragic. Uh, He's got an inherent tragedy to him. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, this plays into that thing of like great comedy chops as well. Like, Oh yeah. Like, and I always say it about, and I imagine this isn't going to be your number two or number one pick, but like, Trapped in Paradise, even though he's against two SNL alumni, is the funniest, like, part of that trio. Yeah. Because like, he's like a great he... straight man and kind of gets the humor in it. Whereas he's not John Lovitz going, ah, I'm John Lovitz and I'm going to be all like this. Or he's not Dana Carvey going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dana Carvey may just go, he may have just like goosed it a little too much in that one. I feel like Cage knew the level and yeah. and Carvey slipped in the ice a little. But <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is a perfect example of Cage as the supporter. He knows he can't go too big too much because otherwise this is just noise. Like... Um, which kind of leads me into a film that has a lot of noise in it. My number two pick, let's, let's which is, I would say it's this, it, 
my number one choice is what I would say is the center of the Nicolas Cage nexus. It encompasses everything. Amazing. This one encompasses almost everything, and that is Panos Kazmatos's Mandy. Oh. Uh, because it has Nicolas Cage giving himself over to a filmmaker. I mean, a stylist, someone who has a very deliberate pace, aesthetic approach to filmmaking. And Nicolas Cage, big, he's worked with hundreds of millions of dollars. He's working smaller scale. He's going quiet. He's allowing himself to build. He's starting from a place of love, really, in the film, more than anything. Um, and then, of course, it builds to one of the ultimate Nicolas Cage, sort of the shaman performance yeah. of just... He is excited. He's a man, especially at that point in his life, who you know publicly has gone through so many marriages and ups and downs in his career. And that film is just a sort of primal scream of rage and loss, and just wanting to feel like you've got some control of things. And I feel like it's just he pours that into it. You know, mm -hmm. he's got moments that will be hilarious, moments that will be creepy and in moments that will be genuinely moving and I think that is one of my favorite things about him is just that free-flowing nature he's rarely if ever one note yeah because something we talk about on the podcast quite a lot and kind of a stock question when talking about specific films is like does Cage freak out and with Mandy <laughs> I've always said it's an earned freak out like when you get yeah. that kind of pivotal moment in that film where you like that's that amazing performance in the bathroom it's like of course that is how that act of how that how that person is reacting to what they've just been through it's yeah. like and and what i love about that scene as well is there's a fuck up within that scene you 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 see a moment where the camera kind of like moves in on the track and i think cage had thrown well no no cage had thrown a towel down and it kind of landed on the track and the camera kind of goes in pulls out for a second and i, I guess like a runner has just pulled that towel off and then goes in again like on the track wow but like to the kind of layman and like do you know what I mean like unless you're kind of unless you know that story and you're like really digging into like do you know what I mean watching the film on a granular kind of how is this mm. put together level you don't pick up on it because you're so swept away in the emotion of that scene and it's and i don't think that film works like a lot of people feel like that film should be like the criticisms always like oh this needs to be a an 80 minutes nuts and bolts yeah. revenger and it's like well i don't think that moment necessarily works without that kind of hours worth of build-up and that slow yeah. burning tension and that, yeah, that that kind of Cage getting to run the gamut of who he is and the the love that him and Andrea Riseborough's character Mandy have for each other. Like, if you don't get to know Red and Mandy and the goofball that he can be, do you know what I mean? When he kind of does that like crap joke about chips, do you know what I mean? And stuff like yeah, that. like yeah, you're absolutely right. Because the thing is, is that I don't know. I I think that film is such a mood piece, which is also something Cage hadn't really been able to play around in until that point of being a part of some a feeling you know and as you say like the build-up is so key to it because the build-up is him being a quiet content man it's 
kind of the opposite of what we often see Cage as, as somebody who's either you know anxious and all things like adaptation and whatnot, or he's on the run, or he's desperate, or he's angry, he's scared, all these things. There's somebody who's happy and is exactly where they want to be, and it's just to build up the quiet feeling of when you can just sit and be happy with someone. You know, there's a very, I don't know, gentle nature to it, which allows that building chaos and just hell that he's going to get to emotionally actually land uh, yeah, yeah. love that film like, yeah again i feel like i'm really just like dropping names of people i've spoken to but this this is relevant i spoke to brett buckman who edited mandy and he told me that panos cosmotos as they were editing like scenes he like he would kind of stand there with his vape kind of plume out sort of smoke and just go slower slower like he kind of like he wanted to languish and almost wanted the audience to languish in the feelings of the scenes and stuff like that and i know that panos cosmotos has been quoted as saying his first film uh beyond the black rainbow is kind of like an inhale of grief and mandy it's like this exhale of grief and i always find that like a a beautiful kind of way of talking about that film is it's like is that kind of i don't know almost like fantasy of what you have of like the emotions when you're grieving someone like do you know what i mean like i can't yeah. i can't put it to a thing of like i haven't lost someone so close to me like that but mm. a, a thing i can kind of relate it to is that feeling of of like losing a loved one as in like splitting up with someone and like that almost yeah. feels like you always go through this weird like seven stages of grief in that and you kind of feel you feel that and it, it really taps into the anger that you feel through that and like do you know what I mean you want to get to a point yeah. and you want to yeah. and it, it turns it into something like cosmic as well yeah. and in some ways I feel like Mandy would be a good double feature with uh, Terence Malick's The Tree of Life, because uh, that is a film where, they, you know, the much-talked-about universe sequence, another film people might want, wish was shorter, but the creation of the world sequence, you know, Jessica Chastain's character, like, you know, is praying and, you know, says, like, you know, when my son died, where were you? And then we cut to literally the birth of the universe and just, like, the expansion of everything and the creation of the world, yada, yada. And I feel like Mandy, it's similarly is trying to get to some sort of like cosmic place where when you suffer loss you can't wrap your head around it it's Mm -hmm. so unfair and hateful that it may as well be you know demon bikers that use wasp drugs because that makes as much sense as somebody you love just being taken from you you know and i feel like that film there's there's something very beautiful about that and i feel like cage really wears the weight of that as it gets you know wild at times obviously i guess you know yeah, you 10 foot chainsaw or whatever but then because of the slowness because of the importance <laughs> drawn to everything you could see that as some sort of you know symbolic totem of just like him wielding his his rage you know like that's the point you're at in that movie i'm convinced as well that like cage's aesthetic and the kind of chainsaw moment is a reference to draw it back to Angus Scrum is a reference to Phantasm 2 and like Reggie Bannisters like 
kind of uh, aesthetic when he kind of has the utility vest and there's a chainsaw moment in that. I'm like, that yeah. feels like the kind of movie that Panos Cosmotos would have seen and been like, you know what? We're going to get Cage in a utility kind of outfit, like drenched yeah. in blood and like having a chainsaw duel with someone. Like it's a... That's like the really cool thing about that movie is that while it can be, you know, emotional and all these great themes and, and aesthetic qualities, it's also like the equivalent of having the first film and a sequel film to any horror franchise together it's like you know it's got evil dead of being like slightly slower scrappier and genuinely scary and then it's also got evil dead 2 quality of like hours again like real bloody and doing some wacky stuff and as you say it's got phantasm one of like oh cosmic spookiness and also hey you know the ice cream man's gonna fight demons <laughs> yeah there's, and there's like there's some great line deliveries from cage in that movie I, like one that always sticks in my head is when he, he says to one of the kind of cenobite bikers like you ripped my shirt and, <laughs> and like that that animation sequence in in that when he kind of takes the like demon cocaine or like lsd and like kind of yeah it's beautiful it's, yeah that lives incorporates so much of what the film's aesthetic is already drawing from and comes it again in a new way yeah that's like that is a film that every time i watch it i like it even more and yeah. like uh, i think uh a little tease for the for the listeners i think i, I think i think james I've, I've got one or two t-shirts probably two t-shirts dropping soon that i think oh, you're wow. gonna be a big fan of let's Ooh. just say that <laughs> so, the tease. The tease is out. so let's with, with that tease hanging yeah. in the air let's get on to um your number one number yeah number one pick yeah number one pick number one pick this is this is at the center of my Nicolas Cage nexus, you know, this this bright star that encompasses, I feel, every aspect of him as a performer. And also just in a very base level, I think it's a fantastic film uh, from a filmmaker I'm a huge fan of. It's The Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans by Werner Herzog, 2009. And, oh. <clears throat> Apologies. Um, yeah, that film, it has Nicolas Cage, he gives himself to a filmmaker. It's also a film that with any other actor would not have the same rhythms to it. You know, you would not be lurching from a quiet scene of a sad, addicted man talking to the woman he has this like one tenuous connection with to a man wearing the world's largest revolver so high up his trousers. Like, it just, it looks like a carrot top prop and he's like hiding behind the door like Nosferatu like the film vacillates through Cage um and at the same time like it's a film that it worked on so many levels for me because the first time I was just so bowled over by how you know oh it's Nicolas Cage going like real crazy and so many wild things happening you know like shoot him again his soul is still dancing like that's beautiful and hilarious but it really is as well one of the great sort of like post-Katrina films for one, but also ones just about generally systems of power and times of crisis because, like, there's so many animals in that film. You know, there's alligators getting knocked over in the highway. You know, there's, like, there's iguanas and tables that might not exist. Like, post-Katrina, Werner Herzog depicts 
that landscape is one where the systems has allowed this to happen and they've allowed just all the worst things to rise to the surface and to proliferate and to grow and the ultimate joke of that film is just Nicolas Cage being as comically evil and just like terrible as someone can be and failing upward mm-hmm. is the ultimate story that I feel like we see a lot with like even in life in terms of you know people in control yeah, and the yeah, police yeah, yeah. so yeah, 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 yeah. you know people who oh, this person who's been in the force for so long, it turns out all these horrible things have been happening over those years. Um, And it's certainly uh, within the context of America and the war on drugs as just being this thing of, I know so much evil goes into the enforcing of something and yet you are enforcing what the law is at the end of the day by these all these evil things you've done. So well done, my friend. and yeah, it's just, it's got Werner Herzog's loose, uh, beautiful sort of improvised, improvisational sort of energy to sort of camera work and everything. And yeah, it's always a film that stuck with me. And for him as a performer, I just think he does everything in that film. I think he does everything that he loves to do and does so well. Had you, had you been a fan or had you ever seen the Abel Ferrara 1993 film? I I personally feel that this film kind of uses that but then makes it something completely different. As you said, it kind of draws in, like it makes it about the time that it's set. It kind of uses that almost an archetypal character, but then it's almost like, I don't know, it's like a quasi-sequel to that movie, do you know what I mean, as opposed to a, a remake. The connection there is always so weird because Herzog's always very just like, no, there was no connection. I just thought it was a good title. Um, and it's just like, that's a very specific, just thought it was a good title. Um, but also, regardless, like, yeah, like, Bad Lieutenant, the original, is the 70s, decrepit New York, like, Catholic guilt. Like, he is, like, abominable. But he's also, like, he's almost, like, an abominable aberration in his own way. Whereas I feel like what Werner Herzog does in shifting it forward is that the big sort of twist by the end of the day almost is that the aberration is the norm. You're almost watching the whole movie almost as if you're watching, you know, uncut gems of how many, how how can he keep getting away with this? When is this going to, you know, come and catch him up? When is, you know, Val Kilmer going to, you know, like rat him in or the worst thing going to happen? And no, like none of it matters. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's a weird sort of almost like nihilism to it. And that certainly carries over emotionally to Cage's character of like beating the addiction, but you know, not really. He's still thinking about do fish have dreams. Like, (laughs) yeah, this is, this is one that like is due a rewatch for me. Like, because like, it's kind of like, I don't know. I think when I've like when yeah, when I've watched it before, I'm like, this is quite heavy. Like, do you know what I mean? I've got to, I've got I've got to pass out my like viewings of this. I can't just kind of like mainline badly teleport according to the readings. And like I had like I've got a massive soft spot and like I don't know why, it's it's kind of become a staple to my friends of the Abel Ferrara version. There's something about Harvey Keitel's performance in that. And like as I said, oh, yeah. Cage just like different and both of them have like they share a scene which is absolutely horrific in my eyes, which is when like the when he stops the, the like 
Yeah, in both of them, when he, when he stops the couple kind of canoodling in a car, or yes. like, yeah, he, he stops someone in a car, and I think it's. And I think in the the Werner Herzog one, it's like them walking to their car from yeah. a club or something like that. But yeah. Yeah, and then and then and they will throw on. It's like yeah, Harvey Keitel kind of. I don't know, stopping people in a car and like masturbating, and it is just like yeah it's like that and that i think in both films that comes quite early on it's kind of like the 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 benchmark of this is how this is how bad this lieutenant is yeah he is it's it's, it lives up to its title you can never deny that he is a bad lieutenant he is not a good lieutenant and his port of call is indeed norlin's truth all the way down and yeah like it's it's very like some people would maybe say something like could be excessive and i think the film is the excessiveness leap like can i think exists in two planes of absurdity to the point of humor because i mean herzog has always had like humor throughout his career like from a geary onwards like he's just i don't know you can just see he gets interested in things throws mm-hmm. in you know a talking decapitated head because you know it's funny um and a bad lieutenant, though, it also exists on the line of, yeah, being dark and heavy. And I mean, I think the fact that the landscape of New Orleans, what that brings to it is this true just weight is just, you feel it, like, as ludicrous as things get. And yeah, I think starting so early with just the putrid behavior, like, as you were talking about, I think is just so core because both films are just straight off the bat, right? Here are enforcers of, you know, systems and what they dictate as morality they are disgusting <laughs> that's where we're starting from the people who enforce everything are terrible mm-hmm. let's go yeah and I, I think it's a film that kind of it's pr- probably unfortunately aged well because like we're yeah. kind of seeing these kind of people do you know what I mean we're kind of seeing that this this behavior is prevalent within the kind of people who we have to in to enforce the law, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like even I mean, both are just like ultimately a very basic thing of just saying like these people are people too. Yes. Ultimately, the idea that they are some sort of paragon of anything mm-hmm. is is crazy because there's just there's bad people everywhere, and when you give bad people guns, what are they going to do with that? Like that's just like the ultimate thing, and I feel like especially as Herzog being an outsider like because i think the ferrara film being from such a person who knows that world yes, so innately yeah, yeah. it has its own lived in quality and then herzog on the other side is the outsider <clears throat> looking in yeah, yeah, yeah and to him i think that's where the absurdity comes from that just image of nicholas cage's ludicrously big revolver sticking out of his trousers right before he pulls out an old woman's like breathing apparatus uh like it's just almost he sees it as patently absurd you'd mm-hmm. ever give people guns yeah. because do you know what people do behind closed doors? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what this guy's doing all the time? Why would you ever give him a gun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he can pass a test. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, in, a, in, in, a, in a rig system, like it's just crying out for like crying out for people who are kind of like got a couple of screws loose to like. <laughs> site like do you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. Like, it kind of points also- points out the whole kind of absurdity of people who would choose to do this job in the first place yeah and it's also a fantastic riff on the sort of Clint Eastwood Dirty Harry type another yes. long revolver using guy of just like 
he gets the job done and it's just i mean bad lieutenant's the ultimate like but at what cost yes. like if, like what job is he getting done like yeah yeah i'm just destroying on the way to himself and to others importantly more importantly do you know what i mean it's like, oh, yes. it's like yeah who 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 kind of comes out as a victim in this like it's like it's, yeah it's just it's just bananas well yeah, yeah that's a solid top five man like that's a, five I, I i absolutely love that so um if yeah so is there any is there any kind of films that didn't quite make your top five I mean, I feel like there was films I definitely thought like they're just so I feel like important to him as uh, an actor, and I feel like if you're if any interest in them and him, there's sort of like key pieces. And one of them I mentioned before, and that is Zandali. Uh, <laughs> it's weirdly one that like I always just think of and come back to, just like him and you know Judge Reinhold's like slow waltzing on a dock, like. I'm not saying it's his best film or even amongst his top anything, but I feel like there's something about it, both his choices and even the choice to be in that movie that says something about his psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it says, you know, that's going to take smarter men than me, but <laughs> it says something. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, was it Cage just going, erotic thrillers are big at the moment. Let's kind of jump yeah. on that wave. Or was it like... Yeah, yeah, it's a truck thrillers with Mark Twain or sort of uh, Glass Menagerie. Yeah, <laughs> just like I feel like that's what he saw was Glass Menagerie, but with Basic Instinct and a crime movie. Uh, there's chance for me to cover myself in paint in this yeah. movie, and uh, yeah, do some do some do some things with butter. I believe uh, is, is something he talks about. Yeah, in that I think movie. There's, there's definitely he definitely he sticks his hand in some places in that movie. <laughs> uh, he, gets, he gets a mucky. Yes, um, and yet another one I think has come up. I'm trying to. I want to think of at least one that would not be mentioned. Uh, so I'll say this instead: is uh, Doggy Dog, mm-hmm. the Schrader film, because like he's clearly got a love for Schrader from like bringing it dead onward and just loves working with him. Um, a Doggy Dog is just a great example of like Nicolas Cage not being the craziest performance in the movie uh like he's totally supporting Willem Dafoe's mad dog yeah. uh, and just it's almost you could see the film as a great joke if you sort of followed up something like Vampire's Kiss with Dog Eat Dog because you could just imagine that Dog Eat Dog is Nicolas Cage looking at his characters in other films and being like, you're a bit much, mate. Like, just, you're going to get us all killed. <laughs> like, just transplanting that into any situation where you can get any any trouble is a nightmare. And then how the film shifts into a weird character study of Nicolas Cage's own Humphrey Bogart-esque persona, which becomes increasingly explicit. Uh, yeah, I think that one's got an insight into him as well. Well, I think that film makes a great double bill with Wild at Heart as well, because both of them, oh, what yeah. they share in common, it's like, oh, Cage is gay. You know, like, like, if you just look at it without like see, seeing the cast list, you're like, oh, cra- Cage is going to be the craziest guy in this movie. And it's like, Willem Dafoe, the only other guy to kind of match him and like be like, hold my beer. Like, you know yeah, I mean? like, they, they're a great tag team. You know, yeah. you get them in the ring, they are just yeah. hopping back and forth. I'm waiting to see a movie. Like, um, yeah, I, I really want to see a movie where it's like those two are kind of like co leads, like apart from 
doggy. Do you know what I mean? Where they're kind of like, yeah. I don't know, like, and I think, I, I, I think, like, Willem Dafoe gets brought up so much on this podcast with the fact that he's, he's the only other person I can think about that kind of has a similar career to Cage in that way of like, can kind of do stuff that's in the mainstream, can kind of flirt yeah. between the thing, can do these weird stuff, can do like, whereas Cage that like does the straight to VOD stuff or like the lower budget stuff. It's like Willem Dafoe goes off and makes like these weird art house experimental movies. Like, is, is, well, yeah, speaking of Ferrara. Yeah, yeah, I yeah mean... he's like Abel Ferrara's guy. He's doing Tommaso. He's doing like, he's doing Eternity's Gate or he's doing all these weird like, I don't, yeah, I don't turn it. His gate's not Ferrara, movie, but he's doing like Serbia, for instance, yeah. like a movie I saw at like London Film Festival. Was like, what the fuck <laughs> was that? Like, and yeah, it's like they, they, those two are like the kind of I don't know the two guys that I think in years to come people will look back on and go, what fucking careers those two have? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> They're both just they're they're magnetic, and I think they're people who they walk that beautiful line of being able to be great naturalists. You know, like Willem Dafoe can do Florida Project perfectly, but both of them have an innate askewness. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a basic thing, and they just have great faces, yeah, like great they, faces to look at. They look weird, like, and I mean that yeah, in the best perfectly. sense. Like, they don't look like you're kind of archetypal hollywood handsome man like they've got a unique no. quality to, they, they look unique do you know what i mean they've like, lived a life yes you believe it and both i think willem dafoe similarly to nicholas cage can't have that thing where he gives i think he gives himself to filmmakers more than cage does i feel like willem dafoe is so good at mm-hmm. just i want to you know be fueled by your creative energy and do what's right for that and do my own thing in there but yeah definitely just got that very bombastic quality that always somehow fits regardless yeah. of the sort of level other people are playing on they can go bigger yeah, like, and keep things in the same the right level like willem dafoe's got a movie i think's premiering at berlin film festival called um inside which if you haven't seen the trailer like is absolutely nuts it's like he he was like oh so you like the lighthouse where it was me and robin patterson it's like how about a movie where it's me locked inside of a luxury apartment, losing my fucking mind for 90 minutes to two hours? And it's like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, sign me the fuck up. And I was like, when are we going to get Cage doing something similar? Do you know what I mean? When are we going to oh, get a film yeah. that is just like Cage alone? Do you know what I mean? Like oh. kind of like a, a, a character study of a guy just losing his mind. Because I think, yeah. Willem Dafoe, Cage are the only two guys who can really do that and sell it to a to an audience. Oh yeah, and I mean, I feel like Willem. That's such a great. I feel like that's Willem Dafoe testing every person who's ever tweeted, sort of like, man, I could just watch Willem Dafoe do his thing all <laughs> after a movie, and he's just like, okay, I'll give it to him because yeah, 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 we've yeah. all thought it. And yeah, Nicholas Cage. I mean, I'd love to see you know his you know secret honor or whatever, just doing his great monologue film. I feel like he. I feel like he's got it in him. Uh, what it would be, who knows? Maybe you'd need to be playing Max Shrek or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. What you said about Max Shrek, this connection with uh, Willem Dafoe, because yeah, Nicolas Cage, yeah. one of the one of the rare films that he's produced that he doesn't star in is Shadow of the Vampire, which obviously 
Willem Dafoe plays Nosferatu. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing to just be like, oh, I, I, you did get the idea that he just wanted to see that. Movie. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> of course. Well, James, thank you so much for this top five. This has been, a, this has been an absolutely fantastic chat. And thank you so much for coming and getting caged in with me. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad to be caged in. I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to being uncaged, but it's been <laughs> great being caged in for now. And yeah, like, I mean, Cage is still going and I am dedicated to continuing watching all his films uh, as, as they keep happening. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Where can people keep up to date with everything that's going on with the Glasgow Film Festival and like what the programme oh, yeah. will be this year? These are the big dates and the big things you need to know. I mean, we're announcing our program really soon, pretty much. Uh, it depends when this releases, but it's going to be on the 25th of January uh, when our program's announced. And then the festival itself runs from the 1st to the 12th of March 2023. Uh, and that's in the GFT, Glasgow Film Theatre in Glasgow. And yeah, I mean, I've seen the program. I can't say anything about it, <laughs> uh, which is great. Um being recorded and having to wear that weight is, is wonderful. But the good thing is, is that I can just say that it's a really great program. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of these films. And Amazing. I mean, my thing is kind of easy in terms of the Glasgow Film Festival job. I, I tweet about the stuff they do, you know, I promote it. And like, as long as they program good things, it makes my job pretty easy. So like, I'm feeling pretty cozy for the festival ahead, to be honest amazing well guys you don't have to wait long all you have to do is wait until tomorrow to see what the what the program is well yeah again james thank you so much for coming and getting caged in with me thank you very much and yeah have great rest of your cageuary uh and yeah look forward to the year of cage ahead he's got some big ones coming that he does that he does what what is in the pipeline is very very exciting Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, a Town Limerie, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.